Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations half. We will be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. I'm Kevin. I'm Blessing. Blessing, do you want to give us a summarization of what the sermon we just heard was? Um, yes. Uh, so Pastor Gary uh, began the sermon with talking about his experience at a church. I think it was St. Mary's. Um, and he said in their community, they were notified that the homeless shelter was closing and, and they were asked to take in people in their, in, in, in their church. Um, and he immediately said yes. And he said yes because he knew you had, he had the backing of his church because as Lutherans, he believed, and, and his church believed, is that they were called to help those in need. So they opened up their doors and, and worked together and worked with uh, surrounding churches to help the people who are homeless, you know, prepared food, you know, whatever it is that they needed. So it was really about taking in people from the other areas and, and making them feel at home in, in their congregation and in their space. And then he went on to speak about Jesus in the wilderness and the temptations and how that became um, Jesus deciding to step up and become, instead of being selfish, to become self-giving. I think that's the terminology he used, like self-giving versus being selfish and, and making the decision to be obedient to God and go to the cross. And, um, and the cross ends up being you know, a victory for us. You know, if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, then we wouldn't be victorious. The first part that stuck with me was when Pastor Gary was mentioning that about half of his congregation who was helping to welcome these homeless people into their church were homeless themselves. And the fact that um, nearly all of his congregation were all living below the poverty line, yet they're being so welcoming um, and giving of their time and their resources. And it made me think about a statistic that um, the lower someone's income, the higher percentage uh, of their income that they give. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it's just thinking about how do we, um, in the journey of being Christ-like, how do we remember the marginalized and how do we be with them, even if we aren't necessarily marginalized ourselves? And I know I, when I think about that, your question, I think about you know, what the programs we do here. And I, and I had a conversation with Pastor Danielle, and I was asking her about outreach. And then I think one of the things she said is we tried to open our doors to people to come here in the church. So I think um, the community program we do, the feeding program, it's kind of like you know, taking that walk with somebody else. And that's you know, when I really think about that, I think that's one of the ways we can do that. Yeah, it does remind me of what we do here. Actually, I believe some time ago, I want to say maybe 15 years ago, I uh, I learned that um, Advent had turned some of these rooms into a shelter, these offices back here. Wow, I did yeah, not know for that. For a time, we, were, we had people staying here. Um, and I, for, I forget why that, that shifted. It's always whenever you're doing stuff like that, it's a different thing with like the, there's like a bureaucratical political angle involved. Like mm-hmm. you have to be have a certain standing with the city and like certain your space has to be like certified in certain ways and all, all this stuff. But but yeah, but it's something that we have we have done. I 
that statistic that you shared is really counterintuitive because I would think like logic would, you know, I think make most of us think that the more income you have, the more you have to give and therefore the more you would give because your basic needs are met. Mm -hmm. The more security you have, the more you can kind of let go. And that statistic suggests that the opposite is true. Why, why do you guys think that is? I'm just thinking about like my own background, um, you know, growing up in Zimbabwe, right? Not everybody had a lot, but you could be assured if you went to anybody's home, regardless of the income level, like even the poorest, what you would think the poorest of the poor, they would always offer you something. So it's kind of like that whole idea that, um, I, even though I have nothing, I still have something more than the other person. So I think that's, that's what I'm thinking of. You know, I still have something to give. Um, I don't need to hoard it all to myself. I can, you know, I can still share what I have with somebody else and that, just that whole fellowship. That's, that's just thinking about it. That's how I'd interpret that, you know, kind of giving when you have like a little, you know, kind of thing. I guess I would say why people do that or why I think people would do that um, partly is kind of a scarcity mentality of thinking even as you get more, you feel more uncertain about what you have and you're like, I need more or this is never enough. Mm -hmm. And so you just kind of need to keep accumulating wealth. Yeah. Think about our carbon fast, right? When we think about yeah. all those things, like you don't need all that stuff really, right? No, but we can feel like we do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What? I don't know what. It has made me think about what are these kind of uh, delusions that for the society we have grown up in has has instilled in us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Things that we needs that feel so real to us, and so justified that that maybe aren't. If we if we were able to. It's really hard to step outside of that and, you know, stop and take a look. Well, there's been lots of studies to show that once basic needs are met, how like increased income change affects happiness mm -hmm. levels, just zero, you know? Yeah. Once you're not struggling to survive, um, it, statistically, it makes no difference. Um, and I've, yeah, but apparently... Uh, that doesn't increase generosity either. And so I guess that's where it's important to kind of think about it purposefully is um, kind of evaluating your own life and being like, am I as generous as I can be with the mm -hmm. blessings I've been given? Yeah. I recently, maybe this is too personal of an example. And I don't want this to be generosity to be like a, a just a conversation about like financial giving, but mm -hmm. I like the, Maybe you guys are probably familiar. I don't know if you're familiar as the listener that there's like a thing called like pledging or tithing where you essentially like set up an automatic giving to the church every month. Yeah. But um, I I doubled mine this year and which that that sounds cooler than it is. It wasn't that big, so, <laughs> but I doubled it. And that that felt yeah. like a little I was a little nervous about it, but I felt like I should do it i you know i'd heard a couple different things that compelled me and uh and i was nervous about it but i realized i was like looking at these other things i spent my money on and i was like i don't need to do that like if i 
I can just make the choice to not do those things. Like I have enough. And um, yeah, to be honest, like I haven't noticed the difference. I'm like, just as I worry about money just as much as I did before. It's like, you know, it's constant. It's always a little tricky, but like, yeah. And do you miss those things you gave up? It's the same. No. Yeah. No. It it feels the same. Like I honestly don't notice the difference. Right. Um, and I, and I wonder what, you know, could I make even bolder choices and also feel like my life is basically the same and just as comfortable? I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I think in, in, in part of that, um, when Pastor Gary was talking about that, one of the things he said was we are called to be part of a solution. So even, you know, as we think about his example of opening up the church and as our conversation, you know, goes here. Like everything we, how we approach like life is to be part of the solution instead of, you know, just like looking and just like looking, I think, take action, right? And be part of a solution. I mean, I think the example that he shares brings up the idea of accompanying, accompanying those who are, who need help, you know, who are, who like people, these people who are in a shelter and then are suddenly displaced, like, um, yeah, how how can we at Advent and personally, how can you, the listener, accompany people who are in a, a rough spot like that? And for me, I think about people who have walked in and out of Advent who are in a rough spot and how there, there are ways I do feel like with our programs, we've done a lot to help. And mm-hmm. there are also ways that I like, I that kind of haunt me that where I feel like, I'm not doing enough mm-hmm. and we're not doing enough. And I, and I wonder, I, I think earlier, Deanne, you'd raised the question about like, how, how are, can we do that with, with Gary's church? Many people were kind of in this, a similar position. Maybe that enabled them to have a little bit more empathy, mm-hmm. but if you're not in the same position, is it harder to care? And I wonder about myself if I've not cared as much as I should when I walk by people in New York City who are, you know, sitting on the ground asking for help. You may not immediately be able to help, but I think just the fact that you don't turn away, <laughs> to, you know, actually like see the person, you're sensitive to the fact that this is an issue, right? That that's, there are people homeless, there are people who are starving versus just being at that point where you're totally desensitized, you don't even see anybody who's not like you, but being able to see all those people who are not in the not as fortunate as you are. And um, I've actually gotten to to understand the power of prayer. You know, I think it's kind of like one of those ways that you can actually help without, you know, maybe like physically going and like bringing somebody like food or something, but being able to pray for all those people is something you can, some action you can actually do. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I definitely feel that when I like, will see people on the street or people will come into subway cars and be asking for money and talking about their situation. It's just like, it's this weird internal battle with like, how can I help or who should I help? But then also being like, am I really the one who should be deciding who's worth helping Mm -hmm. Hmm. shouldn't i just be 
no matter what people's situation or battles or how worthy they seem, should I not be helping them? Yeah. It's there, hard. There's this one. This I, I'm not great at like quoting the Bible like specific like in Matthew chapter. <laughs> I, I don't know. Where, I never remember what it is. But uh, but I remember there's one that that gives me. I don't know that sets the bar higher than I feel like I am. But it, it talks about like, if, if someone asks for your shirt, like give them your shirt and it, I don't know, like, and your jacket or something, you know? <laughs> and that idea of and I think the way I interpret that is like, in rather than discerning the amount of need, like if someone asks, give them like, don't, don't question it. Um, um, that's kind of like, not, not your job. And, um, and I think about that a lot when I'm commuting around the city and I, and I would like to be able to do that, but there's like a, I don't Yeah. There's a, there's a myriad of things that hold me back my own stress and, and my, my rational thinking of like, oh, that isn't going to do anything or, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. that is, that isn't going to solve the larger problem. Yeah. Um, but then how am I engaged in solving those larger problems? Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about like the actions we can take here, right? Like, I mean, I don't know, because I, I know we've take we've taken like political action. She'd like written letters, you know, like to Congress or whoever it is for whatever issues that really matter to us. So maybe that can be, you know, campaigns we start or initiate, you know, for whatever the issue is. I I do wonder, like, I do wonder locally what I know. I know there are several. I'm vaguely aware there are several big things going in the works regarding like housing. Like, you know, I've read articles about how New York is in a housing crisis mm-hmm. and, all, and all this stuff. I, well, I, I know we've done stuff at Advent, but I'd be interested in like doing more, especially, yeah. especially like locally, like not like senators, although homelessness nationwide is an issue, but I would love to be more engaged in like in, in the city, like yeah. our neighbors that we pass every day, like be more engaged in, uh, political action that's serving our neighbors here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I was like just looking for an apartment and it was just so difficult of like the, the time that they were like going up and then being taken down because they're just getting filled so fast and then it's a lot of like who do you know and so friends are more likely to give apartments to who they know and I'm just a single person so like having a family or needing more space or something like that it's I can't even imagine how hard that would be and then the affordable housing lottery I think it was like thousands or tens of thousands were entering for like a single spot it's just so yeah yeah there's not enough to offer for the amount of people who need it yeah and i think i i you know just going back on stats or um some news clip that a lot of the people in shelters in new york i think are actually like working people they're not like you know they're not like non-working they just cannot afford housing yeah but yet they work and they they just don't have the salaries to get an apartment or anything Hmm. that assumption some people might have yeah of this person isn't contributing to society at all not not accurate right exactly yeah fascinating at the organization i work we serve primarily low-income women um and so talking about kind of this 
you have to earn below a certain amount to get um, some kinds of government assistance. But even if you're earning over that amount, that doesn't mean you're earning a livable wage. So there's kind of this gap between how far government assistance will help you and when you can actually be like Mm. living or existing comfortably. Mm -hmm. And just because so much of inflation and all of these things haven't kept up or benefits or minimum wage hasn't kept up with the cost of living. Mm -hmm. Does that ever encourage people to stay below where the gap is? Yeah. People will say Hmm. I can't take a job with a salary higher than this or like can't work this many more hours because it's like you can get stuck in this gap where you'll be get receiving less money by working more hours or working for a higher wage but not being able to afford child care or health insurance yeah. or other things like that so it effectively traps people exactly in the poverty that's, that's instead of enabling them to climb up incrementally it's like you have to take a huge leap or nothing at all basically i, I talked to a, a, a my girlfriend's coworker actually yesterday uh, is received dis- discounted housing through a charity and it, same exact thing he's like i i will only take another job if it's like a huge leap because it will disqualify me for this housing and yeah it's it's difficult choices really really tricky choice yeah. and that opportunity may never come so then you're right then you're stagnant buzzing can i ask a like a pointed specific question sure, sure. that i'm curious about uh I'm thinking about what you mentioned earlier about how in Zimbabwe where you grew up, there's a culture of like, if, if someone stops by, you're going to share whatever you have with mm-hmm. them regardless. Um, do you like in your perception, how, what are the differences between that culture and the culture here in New York in America? Also like have you, when you're in the different places, have you found that rubbing off mm-hmm. on you personally in your own attitudes? Yeah. I think I was actually having a conversation with a Zimbabwean woman about this yesterday. Because oh, <laughs> cool. we were just, you know, eventually talking about, yeah, I think finally we actually want to go, you know, both of us want to go back and live in Zimbabwe just because this, I, I think it's the whole sense of community. Even with people you don't know, um, you know, the, the greetings in the morning with people you don't know it's kind of like more personal it's not just like the oh you know you walk past a person it's usually you'll say something to each other whether or not you know that person they're joking around so just the whole sense of community and being connected you know with people the whole time which i think is very different from here from here I- I don't personally think that New Yorkers are like, you know, mean and, you know, as as the stereotype goes, yeah. I think they're very friendly, but not as friendly as the people in Zimbabwe. Mm. Um, and I and I think um, as you make your own community, yes, you can reach out to people. But in Zimbabwe, it's a lot of the times people don't necessarily need to reach out. It's kind of like the community will just come together and help you if you need like everybody knows, you know, like what's going on in your life kind of thing. Okay. You know, yeah. Versus here where it's very much, you know, individual. Very siloed. Yeah, very siloed. Um, so I think that's like one of the biggest differences. I agree. I don't think New Yorkers are mean. I think they tend to be very individualistic. Yeah. Exactly. And get tunnel vision. Right. Right. It's There's not, a, there's not that sense of openness of 
viewing yourself as part of a, the whole part of a community mm-hmm. rather than this is my life and here are all the side characters. Yeah. 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 I think that's a thing. Yeah. And I feel like New York is kind of a very extreme example of that, but it's that individualism definitely mm-hmm. is throughout the whole U.S. Yeah. It's U.S. culture mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so in that culture, empathy, how, how do you, how do you Deanne, try and like channel empathy or is that something you struggle with sometimes being empathetic of people outside of your immediate group or experience? I guess I try to, um, kind of be aware of what's going on and what experiences they're having. That's often kind of through the news and, through kind of the worst elements of it of like why are people hurting or in pain or and trying to be aware of that and what are they kind of struggling with on a systematic level it's kind of how i've ended up yeah just kind of thinking about the news but also thinking about who does this personally affect like um like I was working for an immigration organization before. So it's like these immigration policies just aren't just overarching policies. It's like what families are going to be split up and not going to be able to see each other again, or what are the actual people that are affected? Mm. I, I still feel like I don't do a good enough job and I still definitely get kind of back in that individual idea individualist idea of just thinking about my own life and my own problems and that kind of stuff. One thing I was better at doing for a while was um, actually stopping and talking to people mm-hmm. who are hanging out on the street or on the subways and like asking them their story. I was very surprised by how forthcoming they were. And uh, it, it's it felt like I was meeting a need just by sitting there and listening for right. a while. Yeah. I know maybe there's some skeptics out there who would be like, "Oh, they're they're making up a sob story to you know, get you to give them something." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the the experiences I had like they weren't the the stories weren't uh they didn't feel they weren't like so outlandish yeah. that it felt like it was meant to tug on heart heartstrings like i think of one one man who was really just like like aside from uh employment and financial hardships like the thing the real distinguishing factor that put him on the streets that differs from my life is that he didn't have family he could lean on right to bail him out or to stay with when that hard when that blow came Mm -hmm. you know like if i lost my job or anything crazy happened I could move back home. I could, you know, like my parents could send me money, something like, or I could stay with a friend. I have a network. And, the, yeah. and and he described not having that network or or really thinking he did and people letting him down and turning him away and like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That was heartbreaking. And even those few conversations, maybe like with three people over a month where I was kind of opening myself up to that, though the impressions those have left on me have really changed the way I see anyone in that situation yeah um that's helped for for me but i i think i could do a better job of doing what you're doing deanne is being staying informed 
of the larger issues and their impact on real people. Because they do have an impact on real people. And I think sometimes that becomes abstracted for us. Yeah. When I think about it, I know I haven't I haven't been doing as much you now, but I used to, you know, actually volunteer in whatever organization, right? Um, because I know for like a long time, um, I knew a lot of people who were personally affected by HIV/AIDS. So I used to like be actively involved, like call people to see whether they're not taking their meds, you know, that kind of thing. That that's when I was in Boston. Um, but like, so now what I I was thinking about the answer to this. It's, and I think I found it just like more people want to be humanized, you know, not just like walk past, like actually, you know, like if you see them. And the particular example I have is um, there's a guy who sits, you know, outside the grocery store in my neighborhood and asks for change like all the time. He's always there. So now over the years, we actually know each other. So when he sees me, he doesn't ask. You know, it's kind of like, I'll give it to him. But he'll say hi, you know, instead of mm-hmm. just like asking for the change. Because we've had this, we haven't had deep conversation. But it's kind of like every time I walk past, I'll say, hey, how are you? And he'll say, hey, how are you? You know, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like mm-hmm. we know each other. Yeah. There's so I think it's, yeah. So I think it's just kind of like that connection, just saying, hey, I'm human. You're human. You may be in a different position, but we still both human. So. Yeah. We we should be better at recognizing people's humanity, mm-hmm. even if they're in different situations than ourselves. That's the poll quote from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like that. Oh man, how did we get here? This conversation I know, is... It went, but I think it still kind of gets us are. to where we are, right? With, with um, you know, being part of a solution, right? And always, and, and trying to figure out how to be to walk like Christ did, like right to be with people in the areas of greatest need. Hmm. So I think that conversation just kind of gets us to that same place. Yeah, we're still there. <laughs> we're still there. Should we uh, move on to the other part of the sermon about the cross? Yeah. Let <sighs> me stretch really quick. <laughs> We got into it. I hope it's still interesting for you all, <laughs> listeners out there. Yeah, so the cross, I think I've I've heard about the cross or know about the cross. I shouldn't say heard about it. I, I know about the cross. But this time, I think the emphasis for me was just about the di- dichotomy of the cross. You know, both bad and good comes from the cross. And um, specifically that, in, in this Lenten season, right, we're talking about Jesus going to the cross and the reason he went to the cross. And in the wilderness, he was tempted by Christ, and but he had to forego everything and not be selfish, but be, as the word Pastor Gary used, self-giving. So give up like his own ideas of um, anything else and be obedient to what uh, God had told him to do and go to the cross. So this cross becomes this place, you know, of death, of bad and evil, dying, and then um, of all the goodness that comes out of it for for us. We essentially, as humanity, gain from you know, the death of Christ. By his death and resurrection, we are now able to live and be able to receive sin. So he did all this for us. So for me, that was like, you know, really the impression and just thinking about, you know, that whole dichotomy of how... Um, 
we can let things die. You know, at a certain point, we have to like you know think about this as you know this is this is not going to continue anymore. And 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 how we do that. You know, last week we did the coming and putting all of our cares and worries and everything at the cross, which is kind of at the altar. And then as we move on, you know, let it die and move on and and um, yeah, let Christ deal with it and then he meets us there and then we can move on to experience the greater things in life. So I, so just those thoughts, I don't know if you have any of those you know, similar thoughts <laughs> when you think about the cross. Um, I guess what you're talking about, about kind of leaving worry at the cross, um, as someone who's dealt with anxiety, that can be very difficult for me to let go of this worry about different things that are happening or different things that are going on. But yeah, need to, f- I, I want to work on kind of finding the whole like finding freedom within the cross and kind of what do I need to let go? And what do I need to let die? Um, so that sounds like a really cool kind of exercise and physical manifestation of leaving things at the cross. Hmm. Well, first of all, that was a wonderful summary and description of very, what I think is very complicated uh, theology. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Blessing, for being so smart. Um, I, I guess my my response to that would be, my response was, um. I I like the the idea that it gives me comfort to know that well I guess I guess while death is st- scary a scary thing in general like for human life like it gives me comfort to know that there that these bad things can and that that a season can can die in order to give new life Mm -hmm. you know that and that idea that all that all death in the world like we see it in the biology of the world like Mm -hmm. all death leads to new life and that on the other end of this bad thing there is a good thing that that's beautiful and that's and that's incredibly comforting and it, it and it gives it gives me peace you know with a lot of things in the world to think that there's new life on the other side of death and that Mm -hmm. when a time in my life comes to an end that means new possibilities even if it's hard for that thing to end you know living in a certain place or a certain relationship or a certain thing like on the on the other side i think the gospel is always telling us there's there's growth there's new life right yeah on the other side of that hardship but it also means i think using that cross image for for death while Christ did that for us and Christ is with us there. Like I don't, I don't, I think that that image also tells us that some, I guess letting the bad things in us die is Mm -hmm. not necessarily going to be an easy or a painless process. So if I, if I have something that is keeping me something in my character, that's keeping me from serving God holy and loving my neighbor holy letting go of that thing letting that thing die 
I don't think the, the fact that Christ died on the cross means that's going to be effortless for me. Yeah. It could still be hard. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with that. And then, and then just thinking about, um, you know, the actual temptation of Christ, you know, in the wilderness, right? So, you know, when I think about it, it's kind of like, how, does, how did he, how did he um, kind of not give in to the temptation, and um, I think at the beginning of the passage we read, and Pastor Gary said it afterwards, he was with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was with him when he went into the wilderness, and Holy Spirit was with him when he left. So it's kind of that whole idea that you don't have to do it alone. You can depend on you know, God and Jesus at this point. So, um, hmm. so when you're trying to give up all those things that are not making you the most complete and perfect version or better version of yourself it's kind of like you know think about oh i don't have to do this by myself i can rely on on god or jesus to to help me do it so i think that's also part of the thing that came out and for me as as uh in part of the sermon yeah and that's a that's a beautiful part yeah of it on on a scale of one to ten how how aware would you guys say you are of that sense that the Holy Spirit is guiding you somewhere and you're following? I would, I would say like a solid four, (laughs) like 60% of the time I forget. Mm. I I would say about that as well. It's like more often it's like in hindsight, I can kind of see where it was going and that there was there was some larger things at work but mm-hmm. like in the moment I don't necessarily always feel that or always think about that. Yeah, and I think I agree it's like it's never in the moment, it's more afterwards, but I think it's I'm going to kind of connect it to our first conversation. It's kind of like the when I do work which I'm which I don't feel fully prepared to do or equipped to do, but I feel like I've been led to do it. Kind of like when uh, you know the Christmas Joy Project, whatever. When I'm doing something that's not me, you know, kind of like looking outside of me. That's when I think I feel more like I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. That He's there with me like all the time. But it's not just me, 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 you know, kind of thing. So mm. it's a great way of characterizing it. Yeah. For uh. For listeners out there who are unfamiliar with the Christmas Joy Project, I know you've told me what it is. Do you want to just really quickly say what that is yeah, since you mentioned it? Yeah, so it's it's a project I run every single Christmas. I go home to Zimbabwe and um, essentially just throw Christmas parties for the less fortunate, for orphanages, elderly people, and street kids. So we party with them, um, you know, share Christmas, you know, essentially with them and the joy of that. And then also then, you know, just do some other programs as well. But that's really the main point of the project. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. I, 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 I can like, yeah, I can relate with the way you characterize that though. Mm-hmm. The, that I'd, like looking outward. Right. I have, I've had moments in my life where I'm better at that. And I do feel like it's it's easier to see God guiding you there. It's like when you don't know where you're going or when you're kind of like looking out at others or stepping into the unknown. Yeah. That's when I most feel the Holy Spirit guiding me. Right. Because I don't know what I'm doing. 
I know you have to trust at so some I don't point. Feel <laughs> self, yeah. yeah, I don't feel self-driven because I don't know the way. Yeah. I don't know the way forward. So I need, I become the most mindful of relying on a, a power greater than me to guide me through, navigate me through, uh, yeah, that roadmap or the lack thereof of a roadmap. What about obedience versus selfishness? That was another theme. How did it come up in the sermon again? Pastor Gary was talking about how Jesus was obedient to God even unto death and that he like followed through even giving his own life for us and he wasn't selfish about it which it it's weird thinking about it now because it's kind of already done and over with but remembering kind of Jesus's prayer in the garden I think it was in the garden before his time at the cross where he's like God do I really have to do this and kind of seeing Jesus's humanity are we supposed to like are we supposed to model that same obedience? Yeah, I think so. To God's word, at least, right? Like, that's what we're supposed to be trying to do daily as we live our lives. Because, like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> obedience to death? That's a, come on, Jesus. Well, no, so I think You're it's... Setting the bar high. Yeah, but I think it's death to all those things you mentioned. Yeah. So not your, you know, not your physical death, but to all the, you know, other things. Yeah, <laughs> distractions and things in life getting in the way of yeah, well, serving God, right? Your neighbor, yeah. Although there there are some, I think, really inspiring people throughout history, Christians who have died for a certain <laughs> cause. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, the idea that I could ever do that is, it, I feel like I couldn't. It feels impossible to be honest, but like, I do have a lot of awe and respect for people who have. Yeah. Um, Just thinking about the verse, amazing. sorry, the verse you brought up, right? About the, his prayer. Like whenever I think about that, I think that just makes Jesus more human to me that, yeah, you know, he was God. Right. And, but then he's just kind of like, I, 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 please, if there's another way, don't let me have to go through death, you know, kind of thing. He wasn't just going to, to the cross, but he was that human being, like, you know, all of us. So I think that just also just like makes me think and maybe um, hope that my obedience will be less painful, mm. <laughs> you know, so. I agree. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite Jesus moments. Yeah. Not that... <laughs> Not that we're to treat Jesus like a character in like a movie or something, but you know, there, there are particular moments in a narrative where you're most able to like identify with a character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I understand the Bible saying, you know, part of the purpose of God becoming human in Jesus is for that, that relatability, that, uh, the idea that Jesus is at once God and a human being mm -hmm. like us. And that's one moment where you really see the human side. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Um, I, I haven't had 
I haven't had to die, but I've had experiences where I'm like, do I really need to do this? You know, where I'm dreading it so much, mm-hmm. so far outside of my comfort zone. I can I can relate to that, knowing knowing that Jesus was, was there, but in like a way bigger way. That it connects me to the mm-hmm. the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, and then I guess it's like kind of thinking about where is God calling me or God calling you to go, even if you don't really want to go there. Yeah. Thinking about like Noah, who like literally was like, I'm just going to run in the opposite direction of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and plenty of other prophets too. Oh, yeah. And we're like, uh, no, that sounds, sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a hard one. Like just to try to think about where he's calling you. Yeah, that's a... You know what's interesting though? Yeah. I uh I watch a lot of vlogs on YouTube. I'm really I'm really obsessed with YouTube content right now. Uh and there's one called the Yes Theory and they're like their whole motto is like seek discomfort. Mm-hmm. And and all they the, the all they do is like crazy like stunt videos with like clickbait headlines but you know like skydiving <laughs> with five random strangers in germany you know yeah. stuff like that but um but the, their whole motivation behind it is they wanted to get the most out of life and their idea is that by going out of your comfort zone ends up making your life feel the most enriched and experience you know mm-hmm. full of experiences because right. if you stay in your comfort zone you're limiting your experience and i wonder how that applies to like following the spirit and to serving God. Like while it's scary at first, does it actually lead to a life that you'll feel in the end was more fully lived? I think the answer is yes, but yeah, I think what so do you too. guys think? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the discerning of like, how do you know, how can you be like, yes, for sure. This is what God's calling me to do. Not just something I want to do so I'm saying God's telling me to do it that's a great question and I and I do and this is like the judgy this is not the, the better side of me this is the cynic side of me but I I do I met plenty of times when I've heard people say like I feel like God is calling me to like go on this vacation to Hawaii or something, <laughs> something like it, I don't know it just sounds dumb to me and I'm like no, you're just, you, you, that's just what you want to do. And you're just saying it's, it's God. Like you're just, pro, you know, projecting God's will as your will. Right. Or I mixed that sentence up, but I think you guys understand yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, that could just be being a cynic. Maybe they really do feel that way. Maybe I'm right. But I don't know. I I do think there's that sense. But then also if you don't, when you don't have... Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've never had, like, a little, like, voice of God being like, Kevin, <laughs> hey, you should, you know, uh, I don't know. Then how, then how do you ever really know that it's not just you and it's, and it's God? This might also be because I listen, like, a week or two, I listened to the first episode of Failed Missionary Podcast, which is all about them questioning God's call for them to become missionaries. Oh, so nice. Yeah. No, I was about to say, I think it's, um, like, for me, I think it's, it's, it's all should be obviously based in, in God's word, right? It's, you know, kind of like even 
you know, in the in the text today, it's it's all about just like you know, Jesus' responses are all like using the Bible as the response. Yeah. Um, so you can't Very just true. say, "I'm going to on vacation to Hawaii." I don't see, you know, it's kind of yeah, like, okay, like let's tie that, that back to the Bible. Yeah, where absolutely. does that yeah. say that that God is speaking to you to say, you know, go back to the? You know, so I think just check it like with the Bible, and and I'll, and I'll think that maybe God talks to you when you're reading the Bible or when you listen to a sermon because the sermon is based on the Bible, right? So if there's something particular, you're like, "Oh my gosh, I." This is to- so totally me. I need to do this, you know, kind of thing. I think that's kind of like the voice of God prompting you to take action, maybe. Amen. <laughs> that's just my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, I 100% agree. If you're, if, I think of, if there's a mixture between what you're being called to do and like a biblical grounding or a right. grounding, yeah, in, the, in a sermon or your faith community, then, yeah. Then it can feel a little more like a confident calling right. as opposed to like conjecture, yeah, or something that's actually like selfishly driven, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I also remember one verse that's kind of um, of the the idea of like good fruit versus bad fruit. Of you'll see the results of the you'll see the results, and if the results are good then it's like because you're doing something good mm. but it, as kind of a judge it's like what what results are this action creating yeah oh definitely there's a lot of like um farming metaphors in the bible well, yeah there are a lot of farmers at the time that right you know, jesus was speaking to these people um be nice to have some modern metaphors. I'll basically get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I find the Bible interesting because it did transcend. And mm. because, like, it's been written 2,000 or more years ago. And yet we're still finding information. And it's still, like, helping us. And it's it's still kind of an important word in our lives and that's a very interesting like it's not just so modern but it's something that's existed for so many generations yeah and despite like the occasional name that's how hard to pronounce it's actually it's pretty incredible how how comprehensible yeah it is and how how these parables and analogies really can still resonate yeah and people's experiences i think that's also because right? you always think, oh, yeah, I, I want uh, today's example. But it's kind of like an experience is an experience, regardless of when it happened. Yeah. Right? So yeah, you meeting universal. God, whenever you met God, is still you meeting God. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. The the last one we like to end on, okay, now having discussed all this, having heard the sermon, like what's, and I know you'll love this blessing because you're so <laughs> a- action-oriented. What? <laughs> what's something we can take away into the week can can implement think about do change in life coming away from sunday so the sermon isn't just contained right to a sunday i want to be better at seeing people's humanity and kind of similar to i think blessing you were saying or Blessing, Kevin, you both mentioned like talking to people who are homeless or different. It's like trying to 
maybe trying to do that or just like recognize them as other fellow humans not just people who are getting in my way I think mine is more personal I think I think I was I was really just struck by the dichotomy of the whole cross you know and kind of just like thinking what do I need to let die you know in my life to make me that better version of myself um and then always just remembering that God is with me, whatever I'm doing, just having that constantly be a part of my week as I go through you know, whatever challenges they are. Hmm. I think I'm going to take some time to uh, take more personal time to read the Bible, read God's word, and and just kind of make sure that my own thinking about Yep, my, my actions day to day and where I'm taking my life is. Um, Welcome to Advent Sermons and Conversations. Please That's enjoy the sermon. Blessing. So th- thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, among me- several other takeaways from this conversation. Um, that's one thing I can definitely say I want to do. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at adventnyc.org. Our services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway. Oh, so then does that mean that Jesus is God's father? The Trinity, yeah, Trinity exactly. theology. Right. We should, we should uh, have another discussion on that in depth sometimes because we could spend a, like another half an hour talking about that. Um, but perhaps for another day.